This is the third in a series of interviews with Brianna Hertford on domestic violence in times of corona. I hope you listen to the first one on what is sexual violence, second one on sexual violence in times of corona lockdown. And in this one, we're looking into Brianna's personal story. I hope it will inspire you to become an activist for the rights of victims of sexual violence as well. So Brianna, you've been the one up days and nights and especially on night shifts helping the victims of rape and sexual violence for many years. So which is why we have you at this long series of episodes at our channel looking into sexual gender-based violence. What is it? How can we prevent it? How can we empower victims? How is it specifically impacting survivors now during the COVID lockdown? And now we will be looking into your personal story for those of you listening to us who somehow think Brianna's story is very inspiring and I would like to continue engaging with victims yourselves. This is the best video for you to listen. So if you've already listened to the previous episodes on our channel, don't hesitate to put in comments. Yo go Brianna for those of you who really like Brianna's story. So let us kick off. Thanks a lot for being with us. Thanks for having me. Tell us what was your engagement with the rape services with the survivors in the US and then we will get over also into the European space. Great. Yeah. So for me, my first engagement with working as an advocate for sexual and gender-based violence survivors was, as you said, with my local rape crisis center. So I was at university I was studying psychology and where was that? I, sorry, what was that? Which state was it? Where oh, was it? in uh, Boston, Massachusetts in okay. the US. Yes. So I thought that I wanted to become a psychologist because I loved helping people. I loved hearing people's stories. I loved being able to really process things and analyze things and work together to figure out how to move forward. And then I began volunteering with the Boston Area Rape Crisis Center. And I absolutely fell in love with that work, that ability to, as you said, support and empower the people who have experienced such horrific things so that it does not define them. It is not who they are. It is something that happened to them. Now they can move forward and really rely on their strength yeah. and the strength Which of Which with community. this kind of traumas and we've discussed it in the previous episode, it's almost like identifying kind of trauma that then so much determines your personality and the way you engage with the world that it's important to have access to the right support structures. And so do you I guess probably, I don't know if it's an appropriate question to ask or not, but you've probably faced those questions if it ever happened to you, if that was a trigger for you to be engaged with these services, somehow to pay back what you received. Is that the case? I think everyone has had a personal experience with either sexual or domestic violence. And if you haven't, you've certainly known somebody who has. And that's Or you haven't thing. listened to our previous episode where we look into <laughs> what is the definition because... We- <laughs> We've heard the stats that it's one out of three or four, but frankly, I guess it also yeah. depends on the definition and every, everyone exactly. has already been in a situation where their boundaries have been tested in some ways. Yeah, and so I think for all of us, it's personal and for all of us, it, it should be personal because even if it's not happening to you, it's happening to your neighbor, it's happening to your friend. Statistically, it is happening and statistics are not reliable because we know there are so many barriers in terms of reporting. So I think because we've all been there and haven't reported. Right. 
Exactly, exactly. Or as you said, we personally don't identify it for what it is. And again, that can be for a million reasons. Or perhaps that's not the best option for us to go and report. And that's okay too, as long as we're taking care of ourselves our ways and seeking medical attention and support. So But let's go back into the, the center that you are working at. What, yes. are, what How can the support look? What is it that you are engaged in? Especially, yeah, so, so I said that you spend the night shifts uh, at the center, at the hospital. So what is the kind of support yeah. that the victims can receive in this kind of organization? Yeah, so the rape crisis center that I was volunteering for, they have a multitude of programs, but one of them was where volunteers like myself, we were called medical advocates, and we would go to the hospitals where survivors were who had just experienced a sexual assault. So I volunteered for night shifts because I was a student at the time and working, so my days were very full. <laughs> But um, once a week, I would, I would be on call at night, and I would be sent all over the greater Boston region to a variety of different emergency rooms to be able to be a support for survivors to help safety plan, to help them understand their options around mm -hmm. the whole process at the hospital and whether or not to report, what kind of timeline they needed, etc. To know the, their right to discuss resources after the hospital, for example, if they were homeless, right? Like how to help connect them with services, etc. And first and foremost, to be what they needed in that moment. So sometimes I would go to the hospital and I would meet with a survivor and they did not want me there. And that's okay yes. because everyone is experiencing these traumatic things differently and has different needs. So I would wait in the waiting room simply so that they knew I was there if they needed me. And mm -hmm. if not, that's okay too. How different is the context of the support service and the process and the rights that you are mentioning to the EU? Because we are now specifically looking at the European Union context. I assume it must be pretty much a standardized way of proceeding when somebody's going through. It's not that it's a no-brainer, but I guess there's it's a standard kind of set of needs that the victim has. So I assume uh, the experience would be similar for you in the EU? Yeah, so I think there are a lot of cross-cutting themes. So on the one hand, similar to domestic violence, I would certainly say the experience for a survivor of sexual violence is very similar across cultures when you're talking about the US and the EU. I would also say that services are really context dependent. For example, in the US, if you're somewhere that is very rural and it's a small town, you may never go to the hospital because your mom's best friend works there yes. and would find out, right? And so that is a very valid barrier to access even if the services are there. Similarly, here in the EU, that could happen or perhaps the service isn't there depending on the different legal and policy-driven initiatives. And so what is the main advice that you would give a victim how to act in a situation once it happened? So in terms of sexual violence, if somebody wants to report what's just happened, then certainly here, hold on, we've got to back up because I haven't I haven't talked about the evidence collection kit at all. <laughs> How can you phrase that question? Maybe just ask... Uh, I can go back more, to what you were working on. Maybe maybe just returning to the work as a medical advocate, and then I'll go into the stuff about the evidence collection kit. 
Okay, but what about it as a medical advocate? Um, so, because you've said what you're doing there. So. Yeah, maybe just talking about. Because you I were guess, saying I you mean, were working there and what you were, how you were supporting. So you can also continue, like, at, at the level of your personal and professional experience, your story. So this is so now we understand how it would look if it happened. But can you maybe get us, take us back into your personal story and say, so how did it really impact you and? What are yeah. your takeaways from those experiences? Because I assume it must be traumatizing in a sense also for you as uh, support staff, seeing and reliving these experiences with your clients. My work as a rape crisis counselor was actually so inspiring for me that I then continued after university. I went and I started working um, in a full-time role as a community advocate for survivors of domestic and sexual violence. In that role, I worked with individuals who were living in our emergency shelter due to domestic violence. I worked in um, within the community. I had individual one-on-one sessions with clients and group sessions with clients. And throughout all of those experiences, as you said, this work, it's very, very challenging. It's very taxing. But for me, the reason why I found it sustainable and fell in love with being able to be a support for these incredible people I was meeting was simply how resilient they were and how well they were able to continue moving forward, whatever that looked like for them. And also the community. So there's a very, very strong network of social justice activists who are working very hard at a grassroots level, at broader level. I think that that's the case anywhere and it's a really incredible space to learn and to so at this stage i think it's important to say that all these organizations are always looking for more volunteers and so for those of you listening to us if this is really something that speaks to you now leave a comment down there in the comment section and let us know if this is at least interesting or if it's something that sounds like it's something that you would want to get engaged with tell Mm. us and which continent you live in, which country, which state, if you're in the EU, in the US. And I'm sure Brianna will be more than welcome to connect you to the organizations who are constantly looking for more volunteers to support the victims. Absolutely. That's one way to get involved is to volunteer or to work in a profession where you're a service provider. But then I think you had mentioned it in the previous segment, being able to contribute financially with donations, or if you are in a position where you are administering grants or writing policy or anything around that yes um that's really important because a lot of times there's not enough funding there's not enough resources yeah is that Um, one of the reasons why you moved to the eu because you said that you're working now at um, regulatory advocacy uh the policy side you're not so much doing the the field work so is that the reason yes is that the reason why you moved across the pond There were many reasons, Um, but yes, I, after working for a few years in the U.S. as an advocate for survivors of domestic and sexual violence, I then picked up and moved here to Brussels for my master's. I actually, my program is in international migration with a specialization in human rights law. So I got my master's in that, and it was an incredible opportunity for me to really broaden my perspective 
which is what I was looking for. I had been doing individual work for years at that point. And while it was very rewarding and I really enjoyed being able to feel like I was able to make an impact in that way, at the same time, it was simultaneously very frustrating to see how these larger barriers would still get in the way. And sometimes they were systems that were supposed to be helping people and yet, whether it was a lack of awareness, a lack of education, a lack of resources, or just the lack of legislation and policy behind it to implement something really yeah. supportive and inclusive for survivors, I was seeing and all so, those barriers. Yeah, and so now that I'm thinking since the objective of this episode now is not to go into the systemic aspects of it so much because we've discussed it previously, <laughs> but the career yeah. stuff, the like how can you personally become an agent of change in this field if it matters to you? So with all that you've, what I hear behind all these barriers that you've mentioning is actually opportunities for professional engagement for all the people who are lawyers, who are fundraisers, who are I don't know, venture capitalists who have a lot of money, people who understand law and human rights, any of these, it's almost mm. like a life situation with so many angles to it. And so for me, it really sounds like an invitation for people who, who care about this problem in the society because it's just so huge. It is. Everybody <laughs> among us can get involved in some ways. It's just the question of which entry point is the one that corresponds to your talents and passions. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think also even just having conversations like these educating yourself, being open and curious to learn more from others in terms of their experiences or in terms of, you know, what maybe the intersection of sexual and gender-based violence is with transgender rights and looking into that, whatever it is that you're mm -hmm. interested in or in whatever capacity that you can certainly educating yourself, talking to people openly about it, because that starts to break down some of the stigmas there as well, if we're yes. having open discussions. Which again brings me to that question of how much, I mean, I don't want you to be sharing how much of it you've experienced personally, but I feel especially now in the post Me Too world, it's doing magic in terms of like how the stigma is slowly disappearing. I would hope it is, at least in some parts of the societies or I don't know, educational levels who have access to those conversations about this kind it feels like it becoming much more talked about hence also possible to eradicate if we are open about the experiences that each of us have been through and which are the tools that we need yeah. for prevention and healing. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think being able to be open and again, going back to this idea around boundaries and safe spaces, knowing that being open doesn't require you to do so with everyone right? Because I think that it really depends on the situation in terms of what your safety levels are. But certainly it's never something that you should ever feel ashamed for. It's any of these experiences they're not your fault. You did not deserve it. You are not to blame for this. So those things are really important. But as you said, being open with it, absolutely, to whatever extent you're able to, as you need, right? If you need support, then being able to talk openly is really important. Yeah. And so you've been talking about the multidisciplinary approach to this and how much of a combination of expertise is needed to support the victim. So where do you see yourself going? Now you've been working now 
uh, most recently in the in the field of human rights and migrants uh, as a segment mm -hmm. of uh, victims of human rights violation. Do you see those two segments somehow coming together at some stage, or would you like to yeah. go into other areas? Uh, what is typically? I don't know if there's a typical path. I guess it's not because all of these are jobs which have never existed, and we are recreating them as the society yeah. evolves. But what is your next step or dream where you would like to see yourself yeah. evolving? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> I mean, for me personally, I am very lucky because I've been able to really not only engage in this work and it's work that I'm very passionate about, it's work that I'm very excited about, but I've also been able to do so in multiple ways. So for me, going for my master's in international migration made so much sense because I had seen the way that being a migrant would really create so many additional challenges for clients that I was working with. And again, going back to these ideas of systemic change, how do you create change and how do you become an agent of change? And so I wanted to learn more about that, that community in particular to see how to help best. So for me, to be honest, I am a social activist with a lot of experience and a lot of passion for anything that tackles dismantling these inequalities that we have that create these systems that enable sexual and gender-based violence to continue. And I'm, you know, similarly with migrant rights, I feel the same and both of them, they overlap, you know, and they intersect. So, yeah, so inspiring, so inspiring. <laughs> I hope, yeah, all of you watching this, if you're also inspired by Brianna's story, leave a comment down there. I think it's going to be very interesting and, and heartwarming for you to read. Oh, like the video, <laughs> share it with your circles, especially if you feel you may have somebody in your community who may be a victim of gender-based violence. I feel that all these episodes that we've recorded with Brianna can be amazingly empowering for everybody who is on the borderline of, of violence of this kind. Subscribe to future episodes and be looking forward to your feedback. Brianna, what are your last words? We've recorded so much content, so <laughs> I'm sure it was so interesting for everybody watching. But is there anything you would like to add because it's been a long series of conversations. Yes, I mean, first and foremost, I want to thank you for having me and for taking the time. Again, I think these conversations are so important. I want to thank everyone who's listening, who's watching. I think first and foremost right now, especially considering the situation, we need to take care of ourselves. We need to take care of each other. And again, showing that solidarity, not just in times of crisis, but when we're on the other side, don't forget to look out for each other. And to do so in a way that makes sense for that person. Thank you so much. All the best Thanks and so see welcome. all of you at this channel. Bye. Thank you for listening. For follow-up, you can find us on all major podcast platforms and all social media platforms, including our Instagram, Lights on Europe. So feel free to go there now and leave us your review, likes, feedback, as well as tips on who would you like to hear interviewed next time. Bye.